Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. And against all odds, we have made it to another weekend. Coming up, we're going to hear about Feminist AF. It's a guide for teen girls and non-binary young people through some of the toughest of times. The world can be trash, quite frankly, and we're all living through the worst group project ever. Then tarot expert Jessica Dore dives into the very real magic of tarot. It does sort of make you feel like, wait a minute, I do sort of feel like I am part of something bigger just for the fact that someone drew this and like recognized that this was an experience that was like common to other people and that makes me feel less alone. But first, let's get into what people have been talking about over the last week. With us today are two of my esteemed colleagues. First up is WBEZ Metro reporter Adora Namigade. Adora, hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. And back on the show is Reset host Sasha Ann Simon. Sasha, hey. Hey, Greta. Okay, so I want to start here in Chicago this week with the Chicago Sky because they are our WNBA team who won the finals last weekend. There was a parade here in the city this week. Merch is selling out. The game's got a lot of buzz. I know Chance the Rapper attended at least one of them. Uh, People are riding this high. Did y'all follow the series? Adora? So I always am someone who likes to read about what's happening in sports after the fact. But yes, (laughs) I was following in that sense. So I didn't watch the game. But I am very proud of Candace Parker, hometown hero, okay? And I just love to see people come back to their hometowns and kill the game, kind of like LeBron James in Cleveland. Yeah, that's awesome. What do you think, Sasha? Did you follow it? Yeah, I followed it. And I I think I managed to create another bandwagoner, which is my dad all the way in Toronto. Um, So not only did we follow the series, but we watched the finals and uh, we were extremely ecstatic for the sky. I mean, it was it was just awesome. I was so proud to watch uh, these women just kind of take it all the way. Um, I've got two daughters who have played basketball over the years too, Mm -hmm. Greta. So it was just really inspiring to be able to be like, see, look at them. Like, this is possible. You can achieve this. So I was, I was just excited all around and, and I felt really good for them. I saw Candace Parker getting super emotional after the win. We're down nine. We're down 11. We just got to stay with it. And that's what we've done all season. I'm so proud of this group. I am so proud of this group with our fight. Next man up in town. She actually brought me to tears too. Cause I was oh, just like, wow, I can oh just no. imagine that feeling. It's, incredible. Mm. I didn't really follow, though I did on Friday evening Google the score of that game, (laughs) which is like more than I have done for a sports balls game in like maybe ever. So it's not nothing. Look at all that hard work put in, Greta. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. The one thing I'm curious to ask y'all about is like, you know, the team never usually gets this much attention. And right. 
you know, like, it's great that they won. It's great that we're writing this high. But I'm curious what you think about, like, how we kind of keep that momentum going, not even just for this guy, but I think for, like, you could even say the WNBA and even more broadly for women's sports. Like, how does it get consistent attention? What do you think, Sasha? Well, I, you know, I think it's going to take some work because sad to report, Greta, but even that like amazing championship didn't get as much coverage as it should have. Mm-hmm. I, I talked with uh, Chicago sports reporter extraordinaire, Cheryl Ray Stout. And she said that even down to the final zoom call for media, there was just her and one other reporter. Locally. Oh my God. Wow. And I was, I was amazed. And it was, it was almost like, it was really disgusting to be honest, because this would never yeah. have happened for the bulls. Right. This would have never have happened for the Cubs, the Blackhawks. And so I'm like, come on, what is it? What what is about what is it about this guy that even at the highest peak for this league, they still can't get the respect that's due? Well, it's sad because culturally, I just think that as a society, we don't really invest in women's sports. Like if you look at the pay gaps in men's leagues versus women's leagues, you mm-hmm. see that culturally we don't have the same investment in women as we do in men. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And it is one that's important to keep in mind moving forward, I think, too, because it's like, yeah, of course, it's not. I mean, if it's not literally getting the investment, then, yeah, it makes sense that it wouldn't be getting the attention either, you know? Right, exactly. (laughs) If we're not investing in them, then we're not investing in promoting them. We're not investing in letting people know about their successes. Yeah, no kidding. So, Sasha, as you're raising girls, like how much are you sort of like making sure to tell them when it comes to being athletes that like they can do whatever they want? I mean, I was one of those parents that just, I put them out on the soccer field just because they were three and four. And I just thought the uniforms were super cute and the cleats. And, you know, one daughter of mine was literally on the field. Like, you know, the action was over on the left. She was on the right, picking out the grass, but still I was like, go baby, go, you can do it. And so I've just always been that parent in the stands. I've just made them try everything and they'll fall off once they don't like something, but some of the things stuck. So basketball stuck, dance stuck. And I ended up raising these girls that are really um, not only do they enjoy playing these sports, but they love to watch. That is so cool. Okay, so moving on, I want to talk about Facebook because there are reports that Mark Zuckerberg wants to change the name of Facebook. Hallelujah. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I agree. It makes sense, honestly. Like, apparently it's to signal that they're moving from, like, social media to the next big stage of the internet, which is known as the metaverse, which involves things like virtual reality, which, I don't know, does sound, like, extremely ominous to me. Um, But y'all both think it makes sense, huh? Well, yeah, you just can't be stuck in the past. I mean, Facebook is for boomers now, and I'm not, I don't mean any harm by that, but I think he sees Facebook is for boomers. That's why they acquired Instagram in like 2012. So he's thinking ahead. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, that, that makes sense to me. I don't know. I can't help but think that like if they're thinking about a name change, it's also like they're hoping that that'll fix all the kind of PR issues they've been having lately. Do you think that's part of it, Sasha? That's exactly what I think he's trying to do is, is get, get away from this name as far as possible, just because of all the negative press that's come with it. But Mm -hmm. my thing is, okay, you're changing the name, but are you changing anything else about the platform? That's true. Right. Well, and I don't know. I mean, it's still like, not only is Facebook still going to be for old people, but Instagram is still going to be toxic to teenage girls. Yes. You know? Absolutely. And so it's like, if y'all are, you know, kind of trying to sweep that stuff under the rug as much as possible, then like... I'm not sure it matters what you call it. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, I am sick and tired of the name Facebook. That's why I I praised the Lord at the the beginning of this (laughs) this portion of the conversation. But um, I don't know, something about 
Facebook just, just drives me nuts and it needs to be changed, but I just don't think that it's going to work for the reasons in which he thinks it will. I just don't like Facebook that much. Like I found, and this is what's been coming out in these articles, right? That they praise toxic content and Mm -hmm. they reward content that like sparks arguments and sparks disinformation and things like that. So I just don't like using it that much personally. I use it for work Mm -hmm. to find sources. Yeah, that's the main reason I use it too. But what will forever keep me attached to it is is I've got a lot of family overseas. Mm. Years ago in like 2012, we created like a family group. But as a daily, I just, I, for, just like you, Adora, I sign in because of work. That's how, we, that's how we stop people. But you know what, Sasha? I have a lot of family abroad as well. We're definitely on WhatsApp. Me too. Which Facebook also owns, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so totally. there we go. So, I mean, it's all in the so this all comes back to Zuckerberg. <laughs> So if you did have naming rights for whatever new Facebook becomes, what would you pick? Oh, gosh. Hmm. Yikes. Bookface. Bookface. <laughs> I like the idea of, like, Zuck City. Oh. <laughs> How about, like, Silhouette? Oh, hmm. These are good ideas. I'm like... I don't know. I guess if I'm trying to think of a name that's accurate to what Facebook is right now, I would just say belabored posts. That's what I would say. It's not a sexy name. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So in extreme nerd news this week, the newest adaptation of Dune is out in theaters and on HBO Max. It has a huge star-studded cast. People like Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya and Jason Momoa and Oscar Isaac are in it. It's one of two movies based on the 1965 sci-fi novel by Frank Herbert. Are y'all Dune people, Adora? So I watched the trailer and it can be up my alley. Uh Looks very compelling. Interesting. Yes. I mean, is that just because of Timothy Chalamet? Because that was really the main criteria for me. I mean, definitely doesn't hurt. You know what I mean? Definitely doesn't hurt. Looks compelling. What do you think, Sasha? So I'm right there with Adora. I hadn't watched Dune before, but the trailer was okay. I was like, first of all, this music. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. This is intriguing. And then my head turned when I saw Zendaya. I was like, all right, I can watch this. Yes. Timothy Chalamet, my kids have gotten me into him. So I'm like, all right, he's cool too. Um, but no, I think this is something I could do. And I don't normally do sci-fi. So um, this, this is a new me. Yes. Interesting. I feel like with sci-fi, especially sci-fi that's this sort of like epic and legendary there can sometimes be a barrier to entry, right? In terms of like, you know, like, is this movie going to explain enough of what I need to know? Or do I need to like read up on it ahead of time? Do you think you might like do some Googling to like figure out some of the main pieces first? Or are you just going to yeah. go all in? Yeah. No, I'm opposite of Sasha. <laughs> I will. I will Google. You're going to do your prep. Yeah. But Adora, you're not. You're just going in blind. Yeah, because I just want to jump in. Hopefully like, they should be explaining to me in the movie, right? Is that so much to ask? But I'm the type, I'll, I'll ask 10,000 questions. So for the sake of whoever gets the pleasure of watching this with me, I'm going to Google beforehand. Maybe I should watch with you then, since I'm not doing homework. I'm going to be like, wait, what did, what did she just say? Why is he going in there? And then Dora's going to be like, I have no idea. Just shut up and watch. Is this the part where he dies? Oh, my God. <laughs> Well, Sasha, Adora, thank you both so much. This was super fun. Oh, yeah. Thank you. This was awesome. I loved it. 
I don't need to tell y'all that puberty is weird and intense. Being a young person in the world, especially a young non-male person, especially a young non-white non-male person can be really hard. But there's a new book out there all about how to navigate all of it, embrace feminism and smash the patriarchy. It's called Feminist AF, A Guide to Crushing Girlhood. And it's a collection of advice and playlists and all kinds of good stuff. It's by Brittany Cooper, Chanel Craft Tanner and Susanna Morris. All three are professors, activists and founders of the Crunk Feminist Collective. And they are here with me now. Brittany, Chanel, Susanna, welcome. Hey, how are you? Hey, everyone. I like seriously got probably two pages into this book and just started crying. (laughs) It was just like, man, I don't know. I just found it really refreshing and exciting. I think especially to picture how amazing it would be to like just be a young person and have that book in my hands. I just thought it was really exciting. So thanks for putting it out there. Thank you. Thanks for reading it. So let's start with your own relationships to feminism, because I think they're all pretty interesting. Um, Susanna, what about you? Like, when did you first start calling yourself a feminist? I started calling myself a feminist in college, although I was pretty pro-feminist before that. Um, mm. I went to Mount Holyoke College, which is a women's college. Feminism was everywhere, and I was mentored by a Black feminist, and they were like, yeah, so read this Bell Hooks, read this Patricia Hill Collins, and it gave me a language to talk about what mm-hmm. I had seen growing up. And yeah, you each had different trajectories, but I think it's fair to say that the theme for all of you, and actually for me too, is that you didn't really learn about feminism until college. And I think partly what's so great about this book is that it's going to teach young people a lot earlier about you know, how to navigate systems of oppression and, and how to find value in yourself, which you know, is especially important for teenage girls whose confidence just tends to tank when they're teenagers. Right, Brittany? Yeah. You know, we have been saying as we've been talking about this book that we wrote the book that we needed uh, as Mm -hmm. girls and we wrote the book for girls today. So part of this is about what happens if you actually get the tools to have an analysis of your life, your environment and the things that are shaping it much earlier than we did uh, Chanel is raising a feminist daughter and she can talk more about that. We all have young people in our lives, girls and boys and, and young folks across the gender spectrum who are telling us that they find usefulness in our conversations around, you know, what does it mean to be a queer young person? What does it mean to navigate dating or friendships? And what does it mean to think about those things in an anti-patriarchal way, which are all things that are sort of more basic concepts that we tend to sort of tie to human emotion, but that really are quite political. And so if we can sort of disrupt the idea early on that like jealousy is not love and you don't own anyone and you should have, you know, Mm -hmm. a, a, a politics of radical consent about absolutely everything, not just sex, but also respecting people's boundaries, then this makes for a better girlhood, a better, you know, uh, teenhood, um, and certainly for better politics in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So Chanel, how old is your daughter? So my daughter is nine and she came to me one day when she was six and, you know, said she wanted to be a feminist when she grew up. And so we had a conversation about, you know, you don't have to be that when you grow up, you can, you can be one now, but I think because <laughs> I work at a women's center and all of her aunties, you know, do feminist work that she thought it was a profession. So her little eyes lit up when she realized it was something that she could have access to now. And so she came back a few days later and she said, 
I am a feminist. And so we threw a party. (laughs) That's amazing. It's been great. But we, you know, as aunties and stuff immediately realized like, well, now what? She's going to need some tools to navigate this. Like rebel girls and stuff is all good now. But when she's 12 and starts having tensions with her friends and I'm not her best friend anymore, she starts, you know, being like, my mom gets up my nerves. Like (laughs) what tools can we give her to navigate girlhood? Mm hmm. That's amazing. Can you tell me a little about the party? I'm curious. Like what what oh, you'll yeah. do? So uh, we let her pick her favorite restaurant, which was Olive Garden. <laughs> so we we took her to Olive Garden, me and her dad and my best friend was in town. Um, and we all went around and, you know, said why we were feminists. And we gave her four items to help her understand what feminism was. And so we gave her a friendship bracelet to tell her that, you know, it's about sisterhood above all. Um, we gave her a little plush heart to remind her that feminism is really a practice of, in love. Um, and we mm-hmm. gave her a, a rainbow colored football to let her know, you know, girls can do anything that boys can do. And then we gave her a little daisy seed and told her that her duty was to grow another feminist. Ugh. And then we took a feminist enamel pin and we each went around the table and blessed the pin with what we hoped feminism would give her. So things like friendship and joy and purpose and all of that. And, you know, I hugged her and I cried because I'd just be crying. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so beautiful. Uh, Speaking of passing things around the table, y'all have a really great spin on the super famous Shirley Chisholm quote in the intro to this book. Shirley said, if you don't have a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. But you're saying it's time to build a new table. Absolutely. Feminists are obsessed with tables. Salon just like, you know, put out an album, a seat at the table. There's the kitchen table. Absolutely. Yeah, like, correct, right? It's all of those things. And so we care a lot about this notion of the table as a place where you convene and make where you make decisions. And we understand it as being um, a place where, where folks who are very powerful often convene and they make decisions about all of our lives without our input. Um, and so this book suggests that, you know, what we need to do is not just to fight to have a seat at an existing table, because the existing set of conditions produced that table. And so what would it mean to have a different table altogether, a table that's accessible, a table that has chairs that actually fit fat people, because I'm a fat person. And sometimes when I go to the table, right, you know, I'm worried that I'm going to sit down in the chair and it's going to break. All of us work in the academy, even though we all grew up as working class girls who probably did not initially see like jobs as professors or working in universities as being part of our trajectory. I've learned doing that work that people do sit at tables and they make terrible decisions that affect all of our lives. And we want young people to figure out early that the folks that you gather at the table and the conditions that shape the context of that gathering have everything to do with what becomes possible. Well, and it seems like, I mean, not only just with this book, but there are so many more spaces. I feel like, you know, of course, the Internet isn't always a good thing. But I think about some of the conversations that young people are able able to have these days, and they do just seem so much more engaged and and capable of having really sophisticated conversations and and knowing about systems in a way that like I think a lot of us just didn't 20 or 30 years ago that I don't know I mean it it seems like there is a lot to be optimi- optimistic about even given how weird and awful everything can also seem to be do you agree with that Chanel yes and no I'm a millennial true millennial And I remember when we were the generation that people thought, you know, was so woke and going to change everything. And then it's my generation that built Silicon Valley. 
<laughs> um, you know, Zuckerberg built things when I was, we were in college at the same time, and now we're having all these conversations about the harms of social media. So what I know is that young people today, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, that's coming up behind them, they really do have the tools, but they need guidance. They need aunties and big sisters and mentors. And so mm -hmm. we try to meet them there. And also that's just a tremendous amount of pressure that we're putting on these babies, um, you know, to just do it all on their own because it is hard. And so intergenerational community is super important. And that is what we're offering them with this text. I love that idea. Another concept that I thought was really wonderful in the book is the idea of just a like a feminist friendship. Oh, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> yeah. Can you describe that a little bit? How is that different from, you know, just a normal friendship, I guess? That's our chapter on Ain't Nobody Messing With The Click. And so all the chapters have like little fun hip hop names. OK, ain't nobody fucking with my click. Click, click, and really click, what we're saying is click, the difference between our regular homegirls and our feminist homegirls or when we're in friendships with feminists is that we feel like we, we come out of them stronger. We hold each other accountable to being our best selves. We call each other in. We hype each other up when we're feeling down. And so, yeah, that was a fun chapter to write because it allowed us to reflect on our friendships and reflect on our friendships with one another. But for us, a lot of it was really just this idea that doing it together is better. It is more fun that way. It challenges the, the loneliness and isolation that you sometimes feel when you really are about the work of freedom. Mm. And that's what we're encouraging young people to do um, is to not go it alone. <laughs> you know, the world can be trash, quite frankly, and we're all mm -hmm. living through the worst group project ever. Um, and, I mean, we really are. It's been terrible. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter if you have all of the right language, but your relationships are trash. Mm. Because when the revolution comes, it isn't just going to be for the people that you like or get along with or that sit at your table. Um, and our ability to sort of collectively like coexist together and work on things together is going to make the difference between whether we actually survive this shit or whether we don't. Brittany, Chanel, Susanna, thank you all for writing such a great book and for chatting with me about it. This was really great. Thank you for having us. It was a pleasure. Appreciate you. That's Brittany Cooper, Chanel Craft Tanner, and Susanna Morris, the authors of the delightful new book, Feminist AF. Coming up, tarot isn't just for divination. Jessica Dore is going to tell us all about it. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. The first tarot decks can be traced back to Renaissance Europe, but they refer back to mythology that's even older than that. 
Highly decorative, mysterious cards were used for the occult and divination. Today, you can find them for $24.99 at Urban Outfitters. But to social worker Jessica Dore, tarot is more than a fortune-telling device, and it's more than just like a cute, fun, hip thing you can get at the store. The way she describes them, they're a book of 78 secrets that reveal themselves over time. To Jessica, the cards can be a tool for self-acceptance and growth. Take, for example, the strength card. There's a person in like a white, you know, flowing dress and there's a lion. And I remember looking at that image and thinking, oh, this reminds me so much of what I've been reading about compassion. You know, the lion is kind of symbolizing the sort of ferocious and sometimes maybe mean or difficult, scary parts of ourselves. And then the person in the dress is symbolizing this part that's able to sort of be curious about those parts and be kind with them as well. Part of Jessica's own time reflecting on the tarot has been on Twitter, where she pulls a card a day and writes a sentence or two about it. She has compiled her knowledge into a new book. It's called Tarot for Change. And I asked Jessica about how she combines her background in psychology publishing and social work with her love for tarot. Metaphors are actually really commonly used in in psychotherapy. Like it's a helpful way to experience a concept outside of just talking about it. Like an example that I often give is um, those, you know, those like paper finger traps that you can like stick your fingers in. And that's <laughs> something that people will do in, in, in ther- that therapists will sometimes do in certain styles of therapy that they have a client sort of like put their fingers in. And then it's like, you're pulling, you're trying to get out, you're trying to get out. And then, mm-hmm. and then when you just relax, that's when you actually can have some movement, right? That's what, it's kind of a silly example, but it's, it's an no, example like of the though. way that, yeah, that like you can see how metaphor and experiential practices like that can help sort of drive a point home that when you when you sort of like choose to give up the struggle with stuckness, then therein is like the doorway to sort of like find some possibility for movement. And I, I use tarot in a really similar way. It's a, like I said, it's a set of images that contain these visual metaphors that I think can be really powerful teachers about how our thoughts, feelings and behaviors interact and how we can better understand that to support change in our lives. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that speaks to another really interesting idea about the tarot, which is that there are essentially no like inherently good or bad cards in the deck, right? Yeah, I I don't think so. Because, I mean, I don't know, like I think an obvious example is maybe death, right? Like you'd think getting the death card is like maybe not a good sign, but that's not necessarily the case, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah, I think, I mean, if you're using a predictive model, surely, you know, you can understand why that would feel like that's not a good card to get. Um, Especially if you're taking the cards at face value. I think I recognized right away that I didn't ever want to have an experience with someone where something like that happens, you know, where it's like this person, maybe they're anxious or they're worried about something. Mm. And that's often the case with all of us. Um, And especially when somebody comes for a tarot card reading. And the last thing I want to do is be the person to you know, turn cards over and sort of make things feel worse by saying, you know, oh, you know, death, well, that doesn't look good or the tower. Right, exactly. (laughs) It's like, what are the ways to work with those images that can actually be generative and can be supportive? And I, I have found that kind of speaking to the point of curiosity and compassion, Mm. you know, just sort of looking at an image and, and wondering about it and, if it does feel scary, maybe just talking a little bit about why that is and then wondering, are there other ways to understand this? Why do you think people are are so interested in tarot these days? I really don't know. <laughs> maybe a few weeks ago, I was on Google Scholar, like 
trying to find information about, because this is a question that people ask a lot. I did read that during COVID specifically, faith practices have strengthened. And I feel like tarot, Mm. it can be very secular, but if nothing else, I mean, it does sort of make you feel like, wait a minute, I am part of something bigger just for the fact that someone drew this and like Hmm. recognized that this was an experience that was like common to other people. And that makes me feel less alone. And I I wouldn't be surprised if that was part of it. And maybe two people are come to tarot recognizing that tarot does have a long history as a tool for divination. And so Mm -hmm. during a time like this, who wouldn't want to learn (laughs) how to use a tool that could tell you the future? I mean, I, I, I I would like to have that too. <laughs> yeah, why not try everything? <laughs> right. It's so interesting to hear about you, you know, pulling a card and posting about it online because this like higher meaning or whatever, like it's kind of hard to place that on Twitter in a lot of ways. You know, I think Twitter often is extremely reductive. Um, but I don't know. At the same time, I think it's so interesting because it's also like somebody's got to cleanse the timeline, you know? So I've thought about this a lot. I'm like, why is this so interesting to people? But I, I think it's the element of surprise. A, you're not expecting to get a tarot card reading on Twitter. And B, you're not expecting to get self-help on Twitter. And C, you're not expecting to get self-help through a tarot card reading on Twitter. Bam, bam, bam. Oh, totally. I mean, the way I think of it is like, I feel like when I'm scrolling, my brain is sort of a pinhole, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I feel like when I see something like a post from you, it kind of forces me to zoom out and like expand the lens more. Mm. Oh, that's nice. Which I think is such a helpful, it's sort of like, oh, wait, no, I'm a person in the world. I don't have to just keep staring at this bullshit, you know? That's amazing. You know, when people are like, oh yeah, I look for your cards every day. I'm like, don't, Hmm. don't, don't go on there for me. Like you won't, you'll get sucked in. Like this is, this is bad. But I I reason with myself that like, I'm, I go on Twitter every day. I I do it automatically and I don't have the motivation to interrupt that habit. Uh, Like I obviously get enough out of it. Well, and why not be like a force for good on there? You know, I think that's good. Thank you. Jessica, thank you so much for talking with us. This was really a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate this conversation and your questions. That's Jessica Dore. Her new book is called Tarot for Change. And that, my friends, is it for this week. We will be back with our book club discussion of Light from Uncommon Stars this coming Tuesday. And then we'll have a regular app again on Friday. In the meantime, keep up with us on the internet. We have a Facebook group. It's called Nerd at Headquarters. It is very fun. A member recently called it the best corner of the internet. I highly agree. You can join that if you go to facebook.com slash groups slash HQ. We also have a newsletter. It's pretty fun. Anna and I put links to recipes and books and other cool stuff. You can get that every Friday morning, but only when you sign up for it at wbez.org slash AF. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman. Brendan Banazak is our executive producer. I hope you have a delightful weekend. Megaverse. Megabook. Britannica. What's in a name? I don't know. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. 
Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.